Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and And on on earth earth, peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that we may always revere and love your holy name. For you never deprive of your guidance those you set firm on the foundation of your love. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I hear so many disparaging me, terror from every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him. All those who used to be my friends watched for my downfall. Perhaps he will be seduced into error. Then we will master him and take our revenge. But the Lord is at my side, a mighty hero. My opponents will stumble, mastered, confounded by their failure. Everlasting, unforgettable disgrace will be theirs. But you, Lord of hosts, you who probe with justice, who scrutinize the loins and the heart, let me see the vengeance you will take on them. For I have committed my cause to you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the needy from the hands of evil men. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, in your great love, answer me. Lord, in your great love, answer me. It is for you that I suffer taunts that shame covers my face, that I have become a stranger to my brothers, 
an alien to my own mother's sons. I burn with zeal for your house, and taunts against you fall on me. Lord, in your great love, answer me. This is my prayer to you, my prayer for your favour. In your great love, answer me, O God, with your help that never fails. Lord, answer, for your love is kind. In your compassion, turn towards me. Lord, in your great love, answer me. The poor, when they see it, will be glad, and God-seeking hearts will revive. For the Lord listens to the needy, and does not spurn his servants in their chains. Let the heavens and the earth give him praise, the sea and all its living creatures. Lord, in your great love, answer me. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Sin entered the world through one man, and through sin, death, and thus death has spread through the whole human race, because everyone has sinned. Sin existed in the world long before the law was given. There was no law, and so no one could be accused of the sin of law-breaking. Yet death reigned over all from Adam to Moses, even though their sin, unlike that of Adam, was not a matter of breaking a law. Adam prefigured the one to come, but the gift itself considerably outweighed the fall. If it is certain that through one man's fall so many died, it is even more certain that divine grace, coming through the one man, Jesus Christ, came to so many as an abundant free gift. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. The Spirit of truth will bear witness to me, says the Lord, and you also will be my witnesses. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus instructed the twelve as follows. Do not be afraid, for everything that is now covered will be uncovered, and everything now hidden will be made clear. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the daylight. What you hear in whispers, proclaim from the housetops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear him, rather, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Can you not buy two sparrows for a penny? And yet, not one falls to the ground without your father knowing. Why, every hair on your head has been counted. So there's no need to be afraid. You are worth more than hundreds of sparrows. So if anyone declares himself for me in the presence of men, I will declare myself for him in the presence of my Father in heaven. But the one who disowns me in the presence of men, I will disown in the presence of my Father in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the broader context in which this gospel appears is that Jesus is preparing the disciples to get sent out on mission by themselves. Up until this point, they've been hanging out with Jesus. He's done the lion's share of the work. He's done the preaching. He's done the healing. But now, having been invested with his power, 
they're going to get sent out two by two to go and do what he does. And it would seem that they need a bit of encouraging. Three times in the gospel today, Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Everything now covered will be uncovered. Everything hidden will be made clear. Don't be afraid of the ones who can kill the body and who can't kill the soul. And then don't be afraid. You're worth more than hundreds of sparrows and God cares for us. So, you know, three times we get that reiteration. Look, you guys are about to go out on mission. I understand things are a bit perilous. Things are a bit dangerous. And... I've just finished telling you that a servant's not greater than his master and, you you know, you're going to catch the same kind of heat that I catch. But don't be afraid. And the reason why we shouldn't be afraid isn't grounded in some kind of naive optimism. I, I don't worry, things will be okay. Things won't be as bad as you think. Everything will be fine. No, it, it, it's not based on a, a kind of calculation of the odds and the roll of the dice. Don't be afraid. Because of who God is. He's the one who loves you. And you're worth more than hundreds of sparrows. There's good reason not to be afraid. But here's the thing. Jesus also doesn't tell us to be fearless. You've got to be afraid of the right things. Don't be afraid of what's not worth fearing. But do be afraid of that which is truly dangerous. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear him, rather, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You see, fearlessness leads to recklessness. If you're completely fearless, it's because nothing really matters. There's nothing worth protecting. There's nothing worth defending. But Jesus says, no, 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 hang on a second. There is something worth defending. And it's eternal life. That is something that you've got to safeguard with everything you've got. But you've also got to get it in the right order. Don't be afraid of those who can cause you harm that's not permanent. Be afraid of the ones who can cause you harm, which stays permanent. So, you know, you're going out, 72 disciples, you're going to be proclaiming the word, you're going to be speaking the gospel, and you're going to encounter opposition, there's going to be difficulties, there are going to be trials and challenges and temptations and all sorts of stuff. But you know what? Be afraid of the right stuff. Don't be afraid of the people who are going to tease you. Don't be afraid of the people who even mean to do you harm. But be afraid of the one who can lure you away from God. The one who can take away from you what God has given. So there's a bit of debate then among scripture scholars as to just who Jesus is actually talking about here. Fear him rather who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Is that Satan? Well, yes, I suppose so. In in, in some sense, sure. You know, he's the... He's the tempter. He's the one who can make us get our priorities wrong to to trade in our relationship with God for something that's worth infinitely less, like our bodily safety or our comfort. Or is Jesus maybe talking about God here as the only one who can destroy both body and soul in hell? Well, 
if we're going to go down that path of biblical interpretation, we're going to have to do a good bit of work in trying to understand what kind of fear it is that is truly healthy in the face of God. Now, let me start perhaps by talking about the kind of fear that I think Jesus is not encouraging. And I, you know what? The, the longer I'm a priest, the more and more I see that there are people who kind of cling to this image of God that, that truly is fearful. This idea that God is arbitrary, that God is the one who you need to please. He's the one you got to placate. That God somehow got his fist tightly clenched and that you need to kind of pry it open with your good deeds and with all of those things that are acceptable to God so that he might grudgingly give you a blessing. God is the divine bean counter who's clicking away at all of your sins and keeping a track of every little infraction, every minute little sin, and, you know, the things that you don't bring up in confession, well, they're still on the ledger and they stay there until you finally remember because, you know, God is that exacting. And you better come back groveling because that's what makes him happy. God's default mode with you is that he's unhappy and you've got to convince him otherwise. You know, the longer I'm ordained a priest, the more I see that this is really operating in the backs of people's minds. And their fear of God is one that's truly slavish. And here's the problem, is that it, it makes them look like really good, faithful Catholics, you know. They cling to their rosary beads after Mass, praying the mysteries. They join the St. Vincent de Paul Society and care for the poor. They clean the church. They do the flowers. They're the sacristans who set up for Mass and clean up afterwards. Men and women of great sacrifice and, you know, ones for whom I'm, I'm filled with admiration. But that what stands behind all of these good deeds is a kind of slavish fear that I've really got to try and convince God that, you know, I'm not that bad after all. No, this isn't the picture that Jesus is painting of God in the gospel today. Remember that he loves you, that he cares for you, that everything he has brought into existence, God has brought into existence on purpose, even the tiniest little sparrow. And even a tiny sparrow that falls to the ground, doesn't escape God's attention. Why? Because he's the creator. He's the one who holds that sparrow in existence. And when it falls to the ground, he knows. Because he loves. His creative purpose is for the existence of creation. And you are part of creation. He meant to make you. You're not a fluke, you're not an accident, and he holds you in being. And you're worth more than hundreds of sparrows. You don't need to convince God to care for you. You don't need to earn his attention with good deeds and try to cool down his anger at your sins. There is not an instant in our lives where God is not willing our existence 
that he doesn't behold our lives and say a great big yes. That's who God is. He's the source of life. He's the source of our life. And it's exactly for that reason that we ought to have a holy fear. There's a whole biblical strand that talks about the fear of the Lord. And, of course, it's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that the presence of the Holy Spirit brings about within us a reverent awe, a fear of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah says that the Lord of hosts, you shall regard him as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Now, if we've got in our minds a picture of God, something like an abusive husband or an abusive father, my goodness, we've got the wrong end of the stick. If we're tiptoeing around God, afraid that his mood's going to change and he's just going to start lashing out, if we're constantly living our lives under this extreme tension that, you know, we've just got to keep him happy because he could do anything to us because we're so vulnerable to his power, then indeed we, we start to look like the victims of abuse, living under the regime of a tyrant. No, this is not fear of the Lord. That's not the Lord. That's not what he looks like. And yet I think sometimes that's the image that's kind of peeking in the backs of our minds. What kind of fear do we need to have of the Lord? What is a holy fear, a reverent fear? Well, to know that he is the source of our life. And that if if I don't cling to him, that my life runs out. It's not because he's arbitrary and he wants to kind of dangle it in front of me and, and, you know, sort of remind me that I I could take this away at any moment, so you better keep me happy. No, I, I need to hang on to God because he's my everything. What I need to be afraid of is not God himself, but the loss of God himself. He loves you. He's created you on purpose. He holds you in existence, and to be close to him is worth absolutely everything. He's so far from being a tyrant that he will not keep you captive in his presence. You'll be free to walk away from him if you wish. But that's what you've got to be afraid of. And so the psalmist says that the first stage of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And, and, you know, we we can kind of see what, what he's getting at, that to be truly wise is to have everything in the right order. If I put something created in the place of the creator, if I make my life about something other than the one who is the source of my life, I'm not wise. So Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear him, rather, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So I, I, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, Jesus is certainly referring to Satan there. You know, the way in which he can tempt us away from God to trade the creator for something created. But I suspect he also reminds us that that's us. Fear him, rather, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You know what? I can do that. I can do that by turning away from him. Not because it makes God grumpy, 
at what I've done, but because I can cut myself off from God, who is the source of my life. And to fear the possibility of losing the Lord, that is the first stage of wisdom. And now let's together profess our faith by praying the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the the Father Father Almighty, Creator of of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God, 
Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test. And deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.